Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the industry to discuss passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Mira, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the Sydney market. Hi, everyone. We are back with another episode of the Evolution Exchange. Today, I'm joined by Olga and Shivanji to discuss their journey, experience, and insights on a super important topic. Today, we will be discussing women in tech, and I'm excited to be joined by you both on this topic. So I'll get you both to introduce yourselves before we jump into the discussion. If, Olga, you wanted to go first. Yep, I can. So um, my name is Olga Holik. Uh, I'm currently a delivery manager in REA Group. Um, so some of kind of my responsibilities are also being like running the program um, of work. Uh, but also I am a people leader and been a people leader for quite a long time now. And that is one of my biggest passion, help people grow and move through their career progression and be happy with what they are doing. And I would probably also add that specifically, I'm interested in women's growth. And that also took me to actually doing the certification in life coaching for women, uh, which I'm trying to apply now in my profession as well. Um, That's probably the short bio bio about me. Amazing. Thank you. That's really great. And Shivanji. Yeah. Hi, I'm Shivangi Singhal. Uh, I'm engineering manager in MYOB. Um, my responsibilities inc- include people management uh, and at the same time working with the team closely to define the future vision uh, in terms of technology. So I work as a voice for my team between the product pillar and myself. Um, one thing I'm passionate about leadership is uh, growing with people. Um, I believe, I'm a true believer that uh, as much as your people le- learn from your, as a leader, as a leader, you get an equal opportunity to learn from every individual you're working with. So I embrace that mindset and I try to bring that mindset with the teams I work with within technology. Amazing. Thank you. And we'll jump into the discussion for today. So I guess what's probably important to note from you both is how did you end up um, in technology? Okay, I can go with that one as well. So um, back in school, I was good at maths. And I think what I was lucky is that very early in my learning in high school, I came across the teacher who've seen my talent for math and she really wanted to support me in where I go to university. So that's kind of with picking the math talent and applying my thinking that computers are the future. And for um, understanding, I'm Ukrainian. So I grew up and studied back in Ukraine. So that's how I end up studying math and programming because I saw that computer is the future. Um, And after that, basically, when I graduated, uh, funny enough, back in Ukraine, that was a time when the IT started to be popular. So we started to be an offshore centers for companies in US and over the Europe. And uh, that's where we already come into women difference with uh, men, because Back as then, how we've been foreseen is that every female graduating from programming can only become a tester. Mm -hmm. 
you don't qualify to be a programmer much enough, which worked for me okay because I didn't really want to be programmer. And interestingly enough, the few girls I remember in my first IT company in Ukraine who were programmers, they look different, they behave different, they were like more boyish, like that was the perception. So that's how my QA career actually started. And that's also despite the fact that university teached us nothing about testing. So I had to learn on the job and I was hired for potential, not for my skills, uh, but I quite liked it. And I was glad that I worked in a big offshore company where people and leaders teach me a lot. Um, so that was probably seven years of my career in QAing and becoming a QA manager. And after that, I got married and I moved to Denmark because me and my husband, we decided to see the world a bit. And that's how we end up working in Denmark for a while, where I also been working in QA management space. Coming to Australia now 10 years ago, that's where I naturally seen myself progressing. Uh, but that was also starting to be a time when the automation testing started to be popular. And I started freaking out because I didn't. <laughs> we even had time when my husband, who is a Java developer, tried to teach me how to code in JavaScript. Uh, and I was also pregnant back at that time. And we almost divorced over that. So we decided <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> and that's how I solidified my hate for uh, programming. And I said, okay, I need to find another way. But also, interestingly enough, I think my career was also that I was lucky to came across people who asked me the right questions. And that's how I ended up being in delivery leadership. Because it was a time when I was transitioning from uh, back in banking, I was working in Sydney, I was transitioning between Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, for life reasons, we decided to relocate to Melbourne. But the company I was working for had an office in Melbourne. And when my new manager picked me up, she asked me, uh, what do I really want to do in my career? And that's where I explained to her that I've seen a, the testing part of it in agile, proper way, but it still means that I've only seen part of how the project is happening and why, and I wanted to see it end to end. And that's how she actually transitioned me into iteration management. And then I took it on myself to reach out to REA Group that was very famous of having delivery leadership practice. Uh, I even took a smart approach of creating a delivery leads meetup for the reason to network with people in my area and uh, learn from them. And that's how I end up in REA actually. And that's how my delivery journey is progressing. Uh, but I'm very happy how it went uh, and very thankful to all the people who've been part of that journey and still are uh, because I am actually where I love to be and I really truly enjoy what I'm doing and I'm not missing QAing for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And it's really nice that you had that support so early on, you know, when you're at school and then kind of when you came to Australia as well. Very fortunate to have that. And Shivangi, how, how was your experience kind of getting into the technology space? I think my story is quite different to Olga's story. And yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was not a geek, um, in, uh, geek kid who's loving 
uh, technology at the school um mm-hmm. so i'm from india and i'm from the culture where uh, when girl come to a certain age family starts thinking about oh she we need to get her married and we need to find uh, a, bo- a suitable boy for her and uh, i always had aspirations to be more independent and i wanted to continue doing uh i wanted to continue pursuing my higher studies and eventually get a job and be more independent and uh, so my escape from getting married was to pick up a course which i can actually uh get into and i was good in maths as well so at that point of time we had this master of computer applications course where you had to give entrance exams and one of the one of the subjects uh for that to be eligible was mathematics and i just played to my advantage mm-hmm. i was like this is my best bit if i clear this one up um uh, i won't be looking at getting married for n number of <laughs> other years and the biggest support during that journey was my father because he just told me one thing that i will support you in your aspirations till the time you are able to do, do it so i only had to get into the course and after that my father was always by my side till today so my foray into technology is all thanks to cultural bias that we have around the uh, females that after they take go um attain 18 years once they become 18 years of age you just need to get them married and that was my short story into how i ended up in tech and uh, it was way back in 2006 and i joined as a developer and trust me i had no clue about programming <laughs> language even though they taught us i was the last one to get a campus placement uh, from my college and I, when i joined the uh, team i was like oh my god i hope i survived this <laughs> what have you done <laughs> yeah but fortunately i had good support around me and uh, in last 14 to 15 years i've met some amazing people amazing mentor coaches who have helped me during this journey and be the person i am today or the leader i am today so it doesn't mean that i have not come across leaders who have not tried to pull me down as well but from that leaders as well i've learned what not to do because and i think that's why i have so much empathy especially for my team members and for the people i work with because i don't want them to go through what i have been through and uh, in my journey. So, yeah. Thank That's you, Nora. It's, it's great to hear different perspectives on how you got into the industry and yeah, it's amazing that both of you had the support maybe in different ways on different um different journeys into the tech space, but you're here and I'm very keen to have you on the podcast today um to learn a little bit more about this topic. So, I guess moving on to what are some of the challenges or barriers women face um in the tech space you know whether that be something that you've personally experienced that you can draw from or just what from your point of view are some of those challenges um 
I think we all have one challenge or the other, but I'll share with uh, a, a challenge I had to face, and um, it was more around um, systematic bias. And um, I'll explain a bit more on that by sharing a story. Like, I I have a fourteen year old, and uh, when I was uh, so I have a two year maternity break in my whole career. and after 2 years i decided that okay it's time for me to now go back into technology and be because that's what i love doing and uh, when i was interviewing for the job i actually made sure that i tell them that this is my family commitment i have a newborn like a toddler and i'll i can only work 9 to 5 i won't be able to support late hours i am happy to start at 8 finish at 4 and during the whole interview process everyone said yes 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 so i was like oh my god yes it's going to work so i joined the team it went smoothly for first 3 months that i was going i was flexible people were supportive etc and then um all of a sudden i started getting feedback from my manager that it's not a good reflection on the team if i had, if i am going at 4 and rest of the team members are staying up till 9 or 10 or 11 and i was like i'm a bit confused because i am d- delivering what i'm supposed to deliver uh is that performance issue he said no 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 but it doesn't set the right expectation but i'm like i start at 8 other team members come at 11 and they stay more late so how does it work and he was like no it just doesn't work as a team culture and that made me think that i am failing somewhere to prove myself that i still got the skills in me after two year break and that whole incident made me feel like a failure and i had to start compromising on my family responsibilities and start working late nights and that impacted my family life that impacted my uh health as well mm-hmm. so in a way i felt like even though i was doing all the things right i was growing uh people were seeing the value i'm adding i was getting recognition as well but due to the systematic bias around a norm around that these this is how we should work and and the male the male team members don't have like as much responsibilities as it's being imposed on females so i think they just made me feel like oh my god i'm a big failure but wherein i was just doing what i'm supposed to do so that was one of the biggest challenges during my whole journey and i'll be keen to hear from olga as well because i know she's a mom too so what was her experience yeah i can relate to um the perception that the working hours matter not that much the outcome and the result and yes i'm um i really want to emphasize that in a lot of cultures and we in a country where yes both of us are new to the, like immigrants um but we are forgetting that there is a lot of people like that and yes even we come from different cultures their perception of the women is that yes you are the nurturing of the family you are the mom you main things come to you kids come to you when i agree that 
for regular Australian families, it's probably not such a big difference because yeah, for them, it's okay that men go on parental leave. And I'm very happy to see that now happening like through my colleagues in my company. But yes, we still have cultures who are not there and we need to be aware of that. And by no means, I want to say that we should let those women work less or have less or lower bar expectations. But it's being aware that flexibility now has to be there. It's also like post-COVID that we are working some people from the office, some people from home, different hours as well. Like it has to be the future that we look into the outcome and productivity of the person and not actually that much of the hours. So that's why yeah, I can definitely relate. Another thing that I've seen um, and unfortunately experienced as well is what women can go through. And um, that is... I wouldn't call it a sexual abuse because I find it that it's very overused term and can be quite generic. But what I've seen um, myself and what I've seen some of my close friends or colleagues go through is more a harassment. And it could be emotional harassment. It could be physical harassment. It could be intellectual harassment. And what I mean by that is, so I unfortunately had to come across it in my first year since coming to Australia. And that for me was mainly due to the cultural difference. So in Ukraine, we are quite direct. We call things the way they are. Coming to Australia, I've kind of noticed that people are all very nice into your face, very politely talking. And I was very drawn to that. And I've actually seen it as everyone is so lovely. No one will turn against me. And I've let people come too close, my colleagues, um, that then they somehow seen it as I'm actually in love with you, but because we are friends, I can tell you that, right? And to me, that was a shock. That was a shock that behavior can be treated so differently. And so like somehow that's understanding that my male colleagues have got, even that both of us actually been married. Uh, and also because I felt like it was my fault that I probably let them do something that I was not supposed to. The biggest mistake I've done that time was that I didn't tell anyone. I didn't trust anyone enough to say that, hey, this is what's happening to me and I don't know how to respond and how to deal with this. And to such a decrement that I couldn't actually even tell my husband. And that's why for me now, when I became a leader, it's important to me that the women who work with me, that they feel supported enough and trustful in me enough that they can bring anything to me. Um, because those things still happen, even we both work in quite a nice companies with a very known good culture. But it's just been a few weeks ago that I've been in a Forbes leadership summit for women and the statistic there with harassment and yeah, abuse was uh, quite shocking. And that's the reason also why I want to call it out today that we might not see it happening and we might see that uh, women are suffering 
on this by themselves and no one else is aware of this. But as leaders, both of us, I want to make sure that we can do more and be more aware that if we see something is going wrong, we really need to dig into this and show that we are supportive and we uh, can help them solve that. So I think that you make a very interesting point. I think the one of the observations I made in both of our stories that very we were very quick to start blaming ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a question start questioning ourselves like I like have I done anything wrong? Yeah. I mean, what mm-hmm. has happened? So and I think that's the difference between male and female. Like as females we tend to say, doubt us more rather than um asking the right question or probably asking the other person have they could have done anything better and mm-hmm. i think both of us uh have come far in terms of our maturity in terms of our experience that now we can ask but i think think about anyone who's starting new in this uh career uh they always as females we always tend to question ourselves before we start questioning others so that was a common thing i find like in both of us uh in both of our challenges that as females we just tend to ask yeah and shivangi i'm going to tell you that's not just two of us because that's what got me quite fascinated when i started mentoring and leading women yeah is there challenges they come to me with and the challenge is like okay this conflict happened in the team uh but maybe i'm too emotional that i think uh that impacts me too much uh maybe everyone else is okay with that maybe it's just my reaction that is not normal to this uh mm-hmm. maybe i'm just too soft or i'm too introverted and i should have spoken up all of this that's why actually it lead me to go into life coaching because i could see that a lot of our challenges and issues sit in our low confidence and high expectations of ourselves and if we and it can actually come from the personal life it can come from yeah. our just even like little comments you know that kind of feed into that exactly we cannot switch it off coming to work and it then comes to work and that's also how it made me realize that maybe for men it's easier to say okay my private life is separate when i come to work i'm in a, my business mode for us girls it's not the same and that's why when i'm going into coaching my people i'm talking about their whole life not just hey how is your 9 to 5 going what's happening at work mm. i think you made a very good point that Uh, around when we are coaching more women especially the young generation which is coming in they're super smart i feel like they are more smart than smarter than i was when i was starting my career and they still have doubts and it's not about some people as olga mentioned when be like i was i too soft but i've heard the other side as well am i being too outspoken or am i being too harsh um and i think sometimes i think we just try to f- see the situation and start imagining that we are the ones creating that situation rather than trying to pinch ourselves and get ourselves out of that and feel like hey could you would have done better or could anyone else would have done better or could ha- 
in that situation was there someone else at fault as well so i think that too is soft as well and then it's more like outspoken and more like aggressive or a too harsh side as well yeah definitely and i think that yeah some great sort of challenges that you've mentioned there and i think brings us on to the next question which is important to discuss, to discuss is why it's actually important for women to have professional support network um, and how that helps with self-confidence because a lot of I guess those challenges you just mentioned probably stems from confidence and self-confidence. Yeah I think uh, like we were discussing earlier that we as we are very good as females are good in already devaluing ourselves right that before we even start thinking about for example i think uh, if we are looking at a job description as females we tend to go it as a checklist yes 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 until we meet at least 99.999% of the skills will not be confident to apply and i think that comes from uh, our low confidence in ourselves it takes a conscious effort to keep in keep that in front of our mind that it's okay if even if i am like 60 70% aligned to the skills required for the job versus i think studies have proven that 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 males uh counterparts actually will be able to apply if they only meet 50% of the skills and that's why there is so much focus from companies to actually make the job descriptions to attract more diverse talent so there is a step towards it but i think where that confidence plays into picture because because we are devaluing ourselves i think we need support around our support network around us to be able to challenge our thinking and also ensure that they are asking the right questions which is making us think bigger and thinking thinking of it as a holistic view rather than a very narrow tunnel vision around your career and your progression and in your holistic growth yep what i would add to that as well is that why is that network is very important is those are your people that you trust that you can come with challenges uh that you face and like i was explaining that i was in a situation where i didn't know how to deal with a colleague um back at that time i didn't have anyone that i could trust in my workplace that i felt like i can open up about such a sensitive topic and that's why it doesn't need to be that dramatic uh we all go through different things and uh we are quite complex as human being just itself and that's why how we interact with um situations can be different to how we see those in our team do and that's what makes us question okay is it that me is wrong or do i do it wrong but when you have those people who are around you who know you well you can actually challenge yourself with them and say okay is my response to this my reaction to this is it normal have you seen it somewhere else because we do have a tunnel vision in the teams we are working in so that's where it helps to have the trusted network that you can come to and bounce ideas and get an understanding of and also going into their uh challenge of low confidence and high expectations of ourselves i really think that that support network has to be there as your cheerleaders 
And yes, it's very important at the beginning of your IT career. But to be honest, when you go through promotion and you're starting in a new role, you're kind of starting fresh again because you are in new responsibilities. You doubt yourself a bit that, okay, I knew I was good in my previous role, but maybe I'm not good enough yet for this role. I still have to prove myself and um, show what I'm capable of. So we need that cheerleader network with us all the time. And uh, that is also like what my experience shows through the people that I was mentoring and myself as well, that companies go a lot into uh, let's keep providing feedback to people. And quite often we take it very seriously that we need to be providing our colleagues with constructive feedback. And that's where it can be quite demoralizing that if you're already not sure about you're doing good enough job and you are hearing that uh, feedback around you is coming that, hey, you can be better at this and do better at this, and you don't have that cheerleader network, you start doubting yourself even more. And I've seen situations where I had colleagues saying, I actually don't think this role is for me anymore because... I just feel like I'm a failure. So maybe I should just go back to what I was doing before and I knew I was kind of good at, which again, it's not just because they don't have skills, talent, opportunities or possibilities. It's more that they haven't had people backing them enough saying, yes, everyone is starting new when they're in a new position. Yes, you will have skills that you have to learn, but overall you can make it happen and you will be good at it for whatever reasons. Yeah, I think I understand and sometimes uh, the support network also helps you bring the best in you as well. Like sometimes you feel like that uh, you have a growth area and you are doubting about yourself that whether you are right fit for the job. But I think if you have a support network and if you have right mentors and coaches around you, they can help you understand how to build your skill set to manage that growth area. I'll give an example. I'm a very emotional person and I'm a very empathetic leader as well. And when I'm bringing myself to work, I bring my whole self. So I don't switch between a work Shivangi and a personal Shivangi. It's one, right? So I bring with a lot of emotions as well. And during my journey, um, last two years, I was like, I think my emotions are impacting my leadership style. I'm not sure how people are perceiving me. And I had so much self-doubts. And then my manager was such a big support. And he just gave me this book, Beyond Reason, by Roger Fisher. And when I read that book, I was just like, oh my God, I could leverage my emotions as a negotiating skill. And I didn't know about it. Till I read that book, I always thought emotions as my weakness. But then that book just taught me that I could just use that as my leverage as well. But I wouldn't have come to know about it had I didn't spoken about that to my manager and hadn't asked for support. So I think it's more about as much as about making the network is also about sharing your struggles and sharing your challenges and be open to experiment like having that growth mindset when you are receiving the feedback from your network as well so i think this particular example really helped me in 
believing in myself more as a leader and i couldn't have done without uh, the support of my manager because he gave me the book i'll have to read that one <laughs> yeah it's a good one <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i know as well like we sort of touched on it already but sponsorship is equally as important i would say as mentorship and how that aids to build up confidence like can you give some examples of you know why that is the case in your experience um i think for me when i started early uh, like as a developer uh, i've always uh, heard about mentorship right that you should always have a mentor who can help you grow into your skills into the craft etc and i was like okay i've always had mentors all my life and i think up till let's say 3 4 years ago i got introduced to the cons- the term sponsorship mm-hmm. and that's how when and that is also because i approached someone um in mbyob that i would want them to be my mentor and he was like okay what are your expectations from me and i gave all the list about growing skills growing leadership and growing uh, my toolkit etc and he was like what about sponsorship and i was like what does that mean and i think once he explained me i was like oh my god i didn't even knew that there is a difference that you can actually ask someone that you can be my mentor but i would also like to you to be my sponsor so i think the difference between mentorship and sponsorship is like the sponsor would actually be your ears and eyes in the situations where you are not there so i have realized the more i share about my career aspirations with people around me i get more support because then people will start looking out for opportunities for me i can't be in 100 places right but i can create my network to help me grow into the uh, space i want to be I'm not saying that you should just rely on sponsors to get promotions. I'm definitely not advocating for that. You should work on your skills. You should work on your craft to grow into the position you want to be in. But I think you need to have a balance of mentor and having a sponsor to help you get to the uh role or your next position you are aiming for. And naturally I think it comes naturally as females we don't tend to ask people that i want your help in finding me the right opportunity we always look for more upskilling craft um skills but i think it comes naturally to men where they'll be like hey i'm looking for this can you guide me or can do you have something in mind yeah. and i think for us we are still hesitant to ask that i want this from you specifically rather than going around the bush and asking for the same thing so i think now i'm very um, i advocate to my people as well in my team or the people i coach that you need to ask me what exactly you are looking from me and it is okay to be as blunt as possible because that's how i can help you yeah. so i feel like I'll be keen to hear if Olga has her experience in sponsorship as well. Yes, I do, and that's why I was kind of nodding uh, <laughs> while you were talking because 
yes, I think um, through my career, the what I call to be lucky is probably because I had people who I didn't know that concept exists neither. But now when I look back, I can see that some people were doing specifically that for me without me even realizing. And it could be also that sometimes it's in people's blood that if they see an opportunity and they know someone who can be a good fit, they will just link it together. And I think subconsciously that's what I've started doing for my people. Uh, we kind of call it officially workforce planning, but basically <laughs> that's the part that I love a lot because knowing my people a lot uh, and being in yeah, being a senior female leader, being in the situations and forums where my people are not and knowing about those opportunities, I can bring the two together and say, okay, this possibility, I think it would be good for that person. Then, then go and help and nurture them to say, yes, I think you will be a good fit. And yes, it's very important to have sponsors um, because again, I've also even seen recently just in my workplace with some of my uh, colleagues that there was a role for the tech lead and there was an amazing girl who was a lead there for a very long time. And interestingly enough, yeah, she wasn't thinking that she's ready because this 99% of the list uh, checklist on the job description was not there for her yet. And it was just beautiful to see how people took on that sponsorship hat and came to her saying, we actually think you will be good for this. You should apply. It's not even to say we will help you uh, go through the interview and like teach you how to interview and whatever, but it's like, we believe you should apply. And that mm. was, that were people who were opening the job, uh, their role. So it's impressive to see that people understand. And yet the more leaders we have who understand how important it is, again, because us girls, we are very, um, doubting ourselves very often and we need someone that uh, trustful voice that we respect who knows us well coming and saying I think actually when I have um, no um, intent in this but I honestly yeah. see that you have the strengths and you have the um, talents and skills that you will be good for this and the rest you will learn and also another thing I want to add that with Again, being a sponsor or mentor, like you, um, as women, we need to have those people who can nurture our strengths and create those opportunities for us to show our strengths more. Because um, I really feel, and I hope I'm not the only one, that trying to be an all-rounder and working on our weaknesses to make them average enough to be good enough is not a good approach. And I don't think it's just for females, for any human being, we are having talents and preferences and tendencies to be good at something that makes us different. And having sponsors and mentors is actually help you see that, okay, people see those talents in me, which means I have to pursue them more and I should be looking at opportunities when I can showcase those more. And then having leaders and sponsors who can create the platform for you to showcase those things and practice them more that's where it helps that you are learning something before you come to that next level and you're officially in the role and now you have to practically apply it yeah and i think um it's more about uh being self-aware as well 
I feel like like Olga mentioned about knowing your strengths, right? So I think one needs to be very self-aware of what are their strengths and what are their growth areas and be open about that. There is no harm to share what are your growth areas as well with the people around you because the time has changed. I think from the time I started my career way back in 2006, I was of the view that if I... I need to hold my career development plan to my heart. No one should know about it. To a place where I have learned that the more you share, the more feedback you will get on it and the more opportunities you will get to upscale yourself. So for example, when I joined MYOB as a developer five years ago, I was fortunate enough to work with the team who taught me that that was my big aha moment where all the team members were so supportive of each and individual growth that okay you want to be a senior there these are the opportunities for you to take within the team so we were five or six people and we were all supporting each other's growth and even now we all have gone our different paths but all of us are excelling in our space everyone has taken their own detours but we are still proud of each other's accomplishments and what we have achieved in our professional life but hadn't i shared that with anyone that i want to be a senior i wanted to be a principal i want to be an em i wouldn't have got an opportunity to showcase my skills and got that right platform so sharing is okay you don't have to close it you don't have to lock it somewhere at the bottom of your heart that this is my development plan no one should know it's not a top secret uh, i think it's more about sharing that and taking people along that journey is very important as well i i'm very i very agree with that and i think also that somehow and i don't know if it's cultural but we have a bit of that perception that if i do a good job they will see and they will come sorry but that's not how it works anymore and maybe because there is no such thing also as this is your job description and only those boxes are your responsibilities and you have to be good at those we work in the environments and in the industry where uh it's way more complicated than that and that's why yes um there are basic things that you should be good at if you're in your role and basics you need to get to the next level but it also gets into a okay, for myself for example being a delivery manager yes i'm looking after a couple of teams but if i wouldn't come to my manager and say hey i'm actually interested more in the strategy and business uh direction i want to understand more of this even if i'm coming from technical background how can i make that happen and my manager coming and saying actually i'm more than happy to let you sit on those meetings instead of me because i know it i don't need to be there and you can i can give you a brief and you can just report back to me that is something that she could not have seen in me because as a dm i do my basics i do my core responsibilities and everyone is happy but it's only me who can know hey i want to stretch myself more into this space i want to try to understand more about what may way more risky uh, programs of work because currently for example my area um and the one of my main things that i said is is privacy space which is now a very hot sexy topic and important thing <laughs> and do properly and i came to my manager saying hey there is the 
almost ELT level meetings that are happening on the overall program management. And I really want to understand how people approach that organizationally, that um, how do they fund opportunities like this? How they prioritize it? And she was more than happy to say, I'm happy to uh, for you to sit in those meetings and actually have access to those people and even just observe how they negotiate, what they discuss, what challenges they see. Um, so yes, that's why I agree. You need to be aware yourself of what is that that you prefer to do and want to do more and voice it with the people that you trust, you know, uh, and you work with. Yeah, some really some really great points there. And I think as you, like there's two sides of it, sponsorship and, you know, people seeing potential in others is great. And that's obviously awesome that people are pushing you along where maybe you have some self-doubts, but I think you've got to ultimately, as you said, like voice your voice your kind of journey on where you want to be and what you're passionate about so that you can ultimately get there. We can't just rely on people just picking up these things. Like it all comes down to communication and all relationships. Like you've got to communicate what you want and then that's how that's how you get it. And then of course having those sponsorships along the way is always nice to have, but can't be the can't be what we rely on. Yeah. And kind of on, like you mentioned, both of you feedback throughout the conversation. Um, Olga, I know you put forward this question that you wanted to discuss is why constructive feedback doesn't work for women. I'd so like I to get you of, to share context on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've kind of touched on this a little bit. And I think for me mainly because, again, I've experienced it on myself that when I came to my current company, um, I was at the very start of the journey of a delivery lead. And um, it's just happened that some people took it very seriously to grow me and provide me constructive feedback. And because I was doubting myself enough already, I really started questioning that maybe this role is not for me yet. Maybe I have to step back and kind of prepare more before I can confidently be in the role and uh, deliver what is expected. And also what I've realized seeing that I was also lucky to have a manager who believed in me beyond me not having enough skills or experience maybe, but having a potential and passion for that space and who encouraged me a lot. And I think that's why I actually stayed in the company for quite a long time, seven years now, because I had a lot of people like that around me who when I was doubting myself, when I was ready to call quits and saying, maybe I just trying to chew too much, they were coming to me and saying, hey, you do this and this and that good. So if you just focus on this and uh, keep going. And I also feel that Feedback is specifically constructive feedback is something that has to be treated very carefully in a sense that now when I know my ground, I know that I would not let just anyone provide me with a feedback because first of all, it has to be the person that I respect what they're doing. If I don't think they are good enough in where they sit and they try to come and tell me what I'm supposed to improve on, that's not going to sit well with me. But not every female has the right to say, sorry, I don't agree with you. I see the world a bit different than you do. And that's why I'm okay to say, thank you for giving me your thoughts, but I have rights not to apply them. 
Uh, and yes, it can be a bit damaging if it comes from the place where the people don't understand where the person is coming from, what exactly that person is trying to do and for what reasons. So it's all you have. And also, I think what I've seen in um, my journey with mentoring people is that Yes, there are women that want it direct and precise and they're okay to deal with this. But there are also women who actually take it too seriously. And specifically, if it comes from the manager uh, that they um, appreciate and respect a lot. So I usually, before jumping in any feedback, I try to go and establish and rapport with that person, understand what that person is and how that person will be impacted. And I also love to see it with my male peers and even I had a situation today when we were talking about um, a person who was struggling a bit in their job and my male peer who is the manager of that person come and says but if we do changes like that that person will be very upset and just the fact that we are talking about being careful about people's feelings that to me is a way amazing progress to what I remember back a few years ago. And I just want to make sure that leaders just do more of that and be more aware how that person can take it with the feedback you're providing. Do you have enough facts and support to provide that person with? Because sometimes we can be surprised how it's received. Yeah, I think um, building a rapport before you start giving a very constructive feedback is really important. Um, irrespective if you, it's a people leader versus team relation versus it is peers, any kind of feedback. And I think I have seen at many instances where feedback is not given. People think they're giving constructive feedback, but actually the way it's written or the way it's being uh documented is not uh the ideal way of giving the feedback like for personally for me i prefer getting a feedback in one-on-one or face-to-face because then it becomes a conversation then it's not just me reading out the statement and perceiving that perceiving the tone the emotions behind that feedback i think when you come into the room together and you ask for feedback and uh, people say then it's a conversation you can ask for more examples you can ask for more details on it but again you cannot ask a feedback to someone whom you don't have a rapper and you cannot put that person on spot like hey uh, like a water cooler chat and where you're meeting that person for the coffee and you'll be like hey I want some feedback it doesn't work like that so I think we need to be really conscious of why we are asking the feedback and giving that person a heads up that this is the feedback I am requesting for and this is how it's going to help me. I think it usually setting that up much before you are seeking feedback and ensuring that person knows that what style works for you as well because everyone is individual. Um, Everyone is different, sorry. And um, one style might work for me, but not for Olga or not for you as well, Mera. And then even in my team or the people I coach, everyone wants to receive feedback in a different way. So it's more about as leaders, we need to adjust to each and every individual rather than following a 
thumb of rule for everyone um i personally sometimes still struggle getting feedback like i get feedback and i'll be like oh my and i'll start reading much into the feedback and it takes me a pinch or a chat or a vent with one of my colleagues that see this is the feedback i've got and they'll be like take it with a pinch of salt hmm. feedback is their perception yeah might not be reality hmm. and the people who give feedback with examples and i feel like i can relate to that and it's more easier for me to comprehend and it's very easy to sit behind a desk and give a feedback to someone without realizing that if any if the situations were reversed or anything they could have done better to improve that particular situation so i feel like i still struggle but i think now i know when to pinch myself to bring by bring back myself to reality that take it with a pinch of salt i also want to add to that one quick thing in a way of uh when you providing feedback i think quite often i've seen it is that people haven't been asked but they go as perception i want to help you i want to improve you i want to save you and that's why you should hear my feedback when this is not the way it works i now go with like okay, have you been asked to provide the feedback because otherwise why have you so do you have the rights to tell that person what you think is better for them to do yeah i think it's more about again building relation right yeah do you have that relation with that person to actually go up and say hey i have a feedback for you but if not then you need to start building that relation to reach there where you want to have that feedback and i feel like feedback is such a very diverse topic and because it you cannot keep feedback and emotions aside right mm. irrespective male female i think everyone brings their emotions in when you are giving feedback or listening to the feedback so i think like i have seen teams who have in person in the teams i have worked with where leaders have invested in like this feel how to give feedback trainings it's like how to provide constructive feedback because it's actually an art or it's a science yeah. it's not just merely words and dumping your emotions because some if someone is having a bad day and you ask for feedback I'm not sure what feedback you're going to yeah. get. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So some really great points there and yeah, very very important I think it is as you said an art in itself feedback it can be quite damaging if you know you're just going in just jumping in without actually thinking about what's next after that feedback as well for others. Um before we wrap up for today want to ask you both I guess some tips for women entering the tech space. What is your one tip? um i think for me the biggest uh, thing which helped me um is more like advocate yourself to yourself um be your best cheerleader there is the whole world out there whole world out there to bring you down you shouldn't do that to yourself and believe in yourself more and just take charge of your career so and you'll know what you'll, you you can't imagine what wonders you can do once you have control over your career because then success is yours failures are yours so advocate yourself to yourself and be your best cheerleader um that's why I'll go from a bit of different perspective which kind of 
what we've touched on, build your own network and people who can lift you up when you are out of energy to do it for yourself. And also I would go bluntly direct and say, uh, be very picky who you listen to uh, because People have a lot of expectations, but not every expectation you have to satisfy and not every person you have to make to like you. Thank you so much to you both. Some great points to end on. And yeah, thank you so much just for sharing all your insights and also touching on lots of personal stories will be really relatable for everyone listening today. So a big, a big thank you to you both and hope you enjoyed, enjoyed listening everyone. And we'll see you next time on the Evolution Exchange. 